calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hey people, this is Aram. A few months after we recorded this episode, our friend Mike passed away. I called him a bisexual lighthouse for how bright he shined and how generous he was with that radiance. The path before us seems darker without that light, Mike, but we will look for it. We will look for it and we will share it when we catch a glimpse of it, just as you so kindly shared it with us. Thank you for that radiance, Mike. We will miss you. My name is Aram. My pronouns are he, him. I'm the producer of the actual play Dungeon & Dragons podcast, God's Fall. My name is Dylan. My pronouns are he, him, and I'm a physicist from Canada. Welcome to To Kill Every Every Monster. This week on Kill Every Monster, we are featuring the Incubus. I did it. Monster Manual states that succubi and incubi inhabit all of the lower planes, and the lascivious, dark-winged fiends can be found in service to devils, demons, night hags, rakshasa, and yugoloths. Asmodeus, the ruler of the Nine Hells, uses these fiends to tempt mortals to perform evil acts, while the demon lord Graz... While a particular demon lord, whose name is a pain in my fucking ass. Yeah, screw you with your double apostrophes, Grazd. Grazd? How to make this look fancy. I don't know, put an apostrophe near, like, one of the... (laughs) It's 100% what that is. There's no reason. It helps no one say anything. Want to know how the elves choose their king? They find whoever has the most apostrophes in their name and throw them on the throne. (laughs) Well, he's the wisest. (laughs) He's been able to say that name for years. The demon lord Graz keeps succubi and incubi as advisors and consorts. Though legends speak of them separately, any succubus can become an incubus and vice versa. Mortals only rarely see a succubus or an incubus in its true form, however, for the fiend typically begins its corruption in veiled, insidious ways. We are joined this episode by Mike. Mike, whose pronouns are he, they, is a video producer and streamer from the Pacific Northwest. You can find him weekly on Let's Get Wild Mount via at Critical Bard. 
His pastimes include caring for his dogs, tabletop games, and losing his sense of self by endlessly scrolling Wikipedia. Welcome to the show, Mike. Hey, good to see you guys. Aram, it's like, it's actually really cool to see you like in person. Yeah, we've only met once and it was brief. Yeah, you're you're the reason why I have that I'm a bisexual lighthouse in my uh, right. in my Twitter bio. <laughs> I don't even remember the context to it, but god damn it, I love that. I don't remember it either, but it's fitting and you are welcome. Thank you. Mike, what is an incubus to you? So to me, an incubus is uh, specifically a rock band formed out of California known for the album Science. Um, a lot of frat guys tend to enjoy it. Incubus is a band that's fine. It has infested all of my Google searches all week. So there, there's two types of ways to look at Incubi, there's through the scope of D&D 5e, where they have a very hard separation between demons and devils. Uh, devil being somebody who serves Asmodeus in the Nine Hells, and demons who come from the Abyss. They're the difference between chaotic evil and lawful evil. Which, like, I get that that separation's cool, creates great story, lots of blood wars. You know, I, I grew up Catholic. I you know, had to study theology and stuff. And of course, I'm a goth, so I've researched this shit hardcore. <laughs> so demons are all just kind of one thing um, in a lot of like the old Catholic lore. So an incubus is ideal, like in history has been considered a sexual demon who's responsible for um, night emissions is the correct way to say it. But it's basically you wake up and you realize, oh, I've had a great dream that was the devil tempting me because it you know medieval catholic church was very sex negative looking into this one of the things i came across was it's relatively modern that incubi and succubi got hot yeah they were like basically human like little goblin squirrels it wasn't just that sex is like like being attracted to people is evil the whole like human romantic attachment is specifically this is the evil of orgasms right that seems to be our advancement as a culture like <laughs> sex is still wrong but it's okay if they're hot everything is hypersexualized, but everything's also sex negative in the end sex is only important so long as other people have the power over it and it has the purpose to the ends that they want in terms of fear, in terms of, I want to say, medieval Catholicism, being able to blame things on demons did two things, specifically when it came to sex. It allowed you to push the responsibility away from yourself, possibly onto somebody else. Uh, I know you guys covered hags earlier. That was a way that sexist power was enforced by the church in this way it's uh your own personal desire was controlled by somebody else which is the church through things like fear fear of damnation what have you an incubus is just kind of like this concept this like little boogeyman that we have to make us afraid of what we want in ourselves by personifying it by giving it a voice and its own like purpose like oh this is what's corrupting me if i could be on out of this influence then i would be the righteous person i'm supposed to be as much as you look through the book and you see the incubus and the succubus and you go like ah fuck monster got it evil <laughs> yeah. sexy they also very specifically kiss monster it's a murder kiss now. But it's a kiss monster. Sex. It's a murder it's kiss. A kiss right. It's You're not completely a kiss. Right. They do kiss. Well, they don't say where they kiss. It's steps. It's steps in the right direction. 
but uh in in addition to the standard you know sexy doom allure they do still put it in there where it's like this is specifically for tempting people this is like they always start off by coming in invisible they have an ability that lets them just walk through walls come over whisper in your ear while you sleep try to slowly tempt you which becomes a little bit weird because they have like a charm effect but also no actual like a very powerful charm effect a charm effect that goes beyond the rules normally of charm. The very first line says, one humanoid the fiend can see within 30 feet of it must succeed on a DC 15 wisdom saving throw. That's not low. Or be magically charmed for a day. The target obeys the fiend's verbal or telepathic commands. And when they're charmed, that extends over planes. Which is wild. On top of that, if they give you a command that you would suffer harm or die, you can only make the saving throw again. If you fail, you kill yourself. And that is, first of all, I don't understand why this creature gets to break those rules because no creature, no player should ever, ever be told that they have to kill themselves. I can tell you why. And it's because they're, they're not trying to rule it for like the command, kill yourself. This is hyper legalistic for kiss me. Oh, I don't like that either. Oh, we're going to talk about that real quick. This was the thing that I wanted to give them credit for because I remembered half of the rule, but not the other half. So the major thing, obviously, with an incubus is the kissing. They have the draining kiss ability. The fiend kisses a creature that is charmed by it or a willing creature. And I just forgot the words that is charmed by it. Right. If you make it a willing thing, if you make it a seduction thing where you the incubus has convinced the person like you want this... I am 100% on board, even if it's like that, that is at least like, it's all problematic then, because even then you're saying that you have to be punished for wanting to have sex. Oh, it's still problematic. But we're talking in a domain of like, you have your lines and veils, you talk to your players ahead of time, you should not be springing an incubus on an unsuspecting party. Absolutely not. This yeah. should be something you have their buy in on. And when you know that you're playing with those themes, and that idea of corruption, then you can kind of lean into those things with your players still keeping their agency intact and there is no point where it should have been a surprise beyond like oh oh this is when that's paying off okay that makes sense the fact that it's a creature that is charmed by it is where it starts to get real um i mean explicitly kind of date rapey if you create a ruler a monster in the monster manual that is basically able to override a character's consent that leads to some really really potentially harmful role play that like nobody at the table might have wanted to set up for like a dm that might be new and doesn't really know as much and thinks oh cool it'll be cool if like this succubus comes in and tries to like tempt the paladin away from the light and it ends up creating a really uncomfortable scenario or a player that like wants to interact with an incubus but like you know doesn't want to um metagame or anything by reading the monster manual because like no nobody wants to do that uh and engages in that incubus and realizes maybe this isn't something i really wanted uh once you have those moments they're out you can't really take them back so one of the best things you can do in my mind is to kind of just make them more like any other monster if that makes sense like give them hallucination powers or like powers of trickery like make them see what they want to see like give them major illusion like make them fuck with the minds of the players 
But once you take, because then they have to interact with what the Incubus is putting out there, it can still be a challenging encounter. But at this point, you're not saying you don't get to make a choice as a player because that's kind of what D&D is all about, you know? It also creates a situation just in terms of differentiating monsters where they're they're a little baffling because specifically the fluff calls out the kiss as just an attack. It is unsatisfying. It is harmful. The person being kissed does not enjoy it. Which leads into this sort of question of like, you've you put on a, a flag of like, it must be pseudo willing. It's got to be willing, give or take a charm effect. Uh, but then it's just a, an actual attack. So what what makes this not just a vampire that does it a little differently? It, it's it's a vampire, but worse. It's it, it's a vampire where it hurts. Like, like, I mean, it should hurt. Like a vampire does hurt, it, but but it's worth it. You almost die, but it's so good that it's worth it. Yeah, but that's the thing is I would reverse those two things because thematically, like you should be afraid of a vampire. And also if a vampire bites you in combat, it can be something that is unwilling. It is an attack. It is a thing where the vampire is trying to just directly take from you. But when you're dealing with this as a form of temptation, when the succubus or the incubus is a thing that is supposed to be convincing you to act poorly... Why is there not an incentive? I would change it so that it doesn't kill you. I would change it so that it, there's a line at the end of draining a kiss where if the target dies, it does a huge amount of damage. It's five die 10 plus five psychic damage, which very few things are resistant to. It's also, uh, just as a point of reference, a CR, uh, a challenge four creature. So like challenge four, you're talking about a fighter has... 10 plus 3d 10 which is something on the order of like 30 hit points total this deals 32 points if it on average if it fails the save like that'll take out a fighter of appropriate level yeah they'll wipe anything they kiss i believe that if you're at the point in your campaign if you're fighting demons and devils and you're at a level four, like maybe you are in over your head, <laughs> you know, unless this is like the final, final boss. Yeah. Or if there's, or if like you introduce them as like, where you're going to talk to them or, or have like an encounter with them that may be a little scary, but not necessarily deadly. Like, like it's nice to tease a villain that way. And if the kiss doesn't kill you, if the kiss instead induces, let's say a long rest, Right. So if they take you to zero, you actually just like go into a coma for a, you know, for eight hours. Then that's an interesting thing where you could interact with the villain, have a little sexy moment, and then they kiss you and then just, you know, take off. You know, I have a bunch of friends that have told me like the way they've underwritten the Incubus Succubus Act, and this is very relevant, um, is they simply just say, hey, my character's ace. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've played ace characters before. So like a character like a Incubus or Succubus wouldn't exactly like do it for my character. However, um, if you go by like, I know that Incubi are originally orgasm demons and like we've, we've spread out the umbrella to include other things like you know it's it's desire but we've kind of made it focused on sexual desire deep desires desires that you refute yeah. desires that you run from desires that you ride from desires that have power over you everything about the design of the incubus 
is cartoonishly queer. The shaved chest, the little earrings, the hair. There must be a lot of styling gel in hell. Because oh, yeah. I think hair... I met him at a club once, honestly. Yeah. Like... I know I've met this guy at a club. <laughs> he was bartending at the club. Like, D&D does have a history of queer coding certain villains, just like any sort of media does. The slim, slender dude the, the that's always very sneaky about things that, oh, be careful, you know, he might he might trick you into going home with him later type guy. I don't have the picture of the Incubus up in front of me, but he's wearing he's wearing a choker, right? Like, we can all confirm that. Oh, yeah, he's wearing two of them. He's got dual chokers on. He walked out of like a mid 2000s gay bar. I guarantee you at some incarnation of this art, that boy was in a harness and Wizards was like, "Mm." well, this might be a little too on the nose. He has like a little, it looks like the little heart choker that's kind of popular right now. Like, honestly, I would make a very gay fallen Asimir. Oh my God. I thought you were joking when you said two chokers. There's like a thicker one and then like a little teeny thin one. I, I appreciate this character art. Happy coming out day. Anytime queer things are put in D&D, it's automatically labeled as sexualized. However, the only thing that is that gay in the monster manual is the incubus. Like, you, the art itself doesn't have to be that sexual. What it is makes it sexual. I will fool you into a little bit of bisexuality. I will trick you into the gay. The less insidious version of this whole issue is not necessarily that the Incubus is queer-coded so much as a male artist was hired or D&D just didn't know what women find sexy. So they're like, well, what do guys find sexy when they like guys? 100%. There's no way anyone making that book knew what women wanted. (laughs) No way. They didn't have Mel Gibson on site, which is baffling (laughs) given the level of anti-Semitism in the book. I think that art needs a third figure. I think we need a base incubus form because it references that there is a true form of these creatures. So if you had this thing where it's like, this is a monster that is now starting to portray humanity instead of portraying it as a person who is switching between these gender presentations, it removes that sort of really heavily gendered aspect and that weird sort of transphobia element of it to create like it is fully a shape changer, not a gender in the sense that you've managed to create like the fucking mannequin state of like, oh, this one doesn't have any sexual features. Like, no, this is a hell beast. Something anti-human. I was even thinking like a smoky figure, smoky shadowy figure. Oh, something not even physical. Like going back to um, being on the asexual spectrum too, if you go that route a bit more, um, honestly, the way an incubus would be sold for me is if it came to me as my best friend, the person I trust, a friendly face. Here's all the emotional support you could possibly need. I don't need anything. I'm purely here for you. An incubus is all about selling itself to get a result. And it's a manipulator. They're a salesman. Yeah, they're a salesman. Exactly. That's why I bring up the other forms of devil is I think scrap the incubus as an entity onto itself. Make that a type of devil and give it the true form. And you give an incubus to every single devil where it's like, this is the shape I take when I make a deal. And then when I go home, I'm a pit fiend. 
Or even this is the shape you have to you have to take on the mortal realm. This is the sacrifice. You can't just be walking around as grots. You have to step down a bit in order to play in this realm. That's the trade-off. That's the deal. You would detract way too much attention. Like the being eight foot tall, purple, and so fucking hot. You would just attract way too much attention. Even just like like a pit fiend walking around. If you have a cleric three towns over, they'll see that. And Incubus, like you said, Dylan, is not well fit for D&D, and they should just make a Crossroads Demon-type character, or even just literally call it a Crossroads Devil. They should take the Incubus, because honestly, an Incubus is an interesting monster with a lot of cool qualities. I don't think that the way it's written right now meshes well with D&D, and it does fall into a lot of really problematic queer stereotypes. And now, like, as we're having this conversation, I'm realizing the thing that they're trying to do with it would be so much better filled by a Crossroads demon. Just have a well-appointed, dressed-looking devil who is willing to strike a deal. So let's let's come to what may be the easiest question for this one. Mike, is an Incubus a monster? I'd say they're as much a monster as we are. Honest to God, an Incubus is just us scapegoating natural things that we have or want. The question is, are the things we want good or bad? Like in the Forgotten Realms specifically, it's they're tempting you to do evil things. Now, of course, evil is relative to whoever your DM is or what Dungeons and Dragons says. And that's the final law on what is good and evil in the world. Philosophers can all quit their jobs now. But um, <laughs> uh, are they evil? Are they monsters? Well, are we monsters? Like, at the end of the day, yes and no. That is a really interesting point that, oddly enough, this is one of the few times this is going to happen, the lore does in fact address. Because they point out that an incubus doesn't like to use the charm effect. It's a last-ditch effort because the entire goal is temptation. And if you don't take temptation willingly, you didn't do an evil thing. You were made to do it, and you're not responsible for things you were forced to do by magical compulsion. My thought is just, like, have the sexual lore be part of it, but make it so that it is, like, I mean, in the blurb it says, they tempt characters to do evil for Asmodeus. So the best way to run an incubus in my mind would be to really study your characters' backstories, the backstories of the people that they sent them to you, and have that incubus come in as a trusted friend, the NPC that everybody trusts and believes, and have them convince them that, like, you know... Yeah, it's it's okay that you killed that NPC. It was friendly fire. You were trying to do good and like tempt them away from the righteous path. I mean, they are paladin breakers if you play them the right way. The thing that gets kind of written over because everybody has that really kind of strong image in their mind of what an incubus or a succubus is for. One of their actions is etherealness. Etherealness. You step into the border regions of the ethereal plane, in the area where it overlaps with your current plane. You remain in the border ethereal for the duration or until you use your action to dismiss the spell. During this time, you can move in any direction. If you move up or down, every foot of movement costs an extra foot. You can see and hear the plane you originated from, but everything there looks gray 
and you cannot see anything more than 60 feet away. While on the ethereal plane, you can only affect and be affected by other creatures on that plane. Creatures that aren't on the ethereal plane can't perceive you and can't interact with you, unless a special ability or magic has given them the ability to do so. Etherealness is a 7th level spell. It makes you invisible. It lets you walk through walls. It allows you to interact with the material plane, but it can't affect you. Anything that doesn't specifically exist on the ethereal plane isn't real to you, so you can pass through it. That's incredibly powerful. It's hugely powerful. And that's sort of the weird dichotomy of Incubus and Succubus. It's a character that's actually relatively well-designed for a game that isn't this one. We've had that happen a couple of times. I mean, we've also been playing with a lot of sort of horror-based monsters, and that's really a theme, is D&D loves to invoke a horror-based monster in a game that isn't really appropriately built to handle horror. When you look at it, 66 hit points, challenge four, reasonable. But it's also got damage resistance to effectively fucking everything. So this thing will take forever for you to drop. It's a shape changer. It can walk in and look like anyone or basically anything humanoid. Uh, it's got its charm effect, which is a DC 15 for a charm effect like this, especially at this low level, is pretty goddamn high. That draining kiss, if it goes off, is goddamn huge. Etherealness is a seventh fucking level spell. A 15th level character gets access to etherealness, and this thing can do it at will. And it's got a claw attack that does 1d6 plus 3. So, Mike, what would you change about Dungeons & Dragons Incubus? Honestly, if I could change anything, I would take out the kiss attack. I know that's like its center thing and everything, but like the charm and the kiss kind of go against what the Incubus is all about. Maybe I would keep suggestion or mass suggestion if it needs to like bug out of somewhere and like it can only do so in a nonviolent way. But I would replace it with being able to cast major image at will. Like, major image at will for somebody to see their deepest desires or their greatest fears and sell them as the only way to get out of it. They're not just showing you them, they're showing you a whole location. So it becomes this whole interactive fantasy, almost like being on drugs whenever they're around and focused on you. Like, imagine you're finally, like, this trusted NPC is outed as an incubus. You know, you've known them for like three months of sessions. They've always come through for your character. You find out that they're the incubus that's responsible for like corrupting the town, what have you, like for for causing all of this political stuff. And then the paladin is getting ready. He's walking towards the incubus. He has his, uh, you know, he's ready to do his divine smite because that's the only thing he doesn't have resistance for. And they cast major image, and all of a sudden, the room melts away. The people melt away. And he's like back at home before his tragic backstory happened. Maybe like before the goblins came in and burned down his farm, his kids running up to him excited. And he says, you can have all of this if you just leave me alone and sign on the dotted line. So this is where I'm going to make my pitch. I think we don't lose the kiss. I think we replace the charm with the kiss. You make it so that the kiss is just a thing that you enter into willingly, and the moment you've done that, that telepathic link is there, and that whole thing is now you will, until either this thing is dead or it decides that it's done with you, have it whispering in the back of your mind. 
it should be less about them controlling you and more about them gaslighting you, about them manipulating you and playing with you. Into, and so when you do figure it out, there is a righteous anger against this individual. Give them an attack that can go off regardless of whether someone is charmed, that deals more than a D6 plus three damage. 100%. Well, they should have Hellish Rebuke. Why they don't have Hellish Rebuke as a natural ability, I don't understand. This creature does not make sense as a monster in Dungeons and Dragons because it should show up to fight a fourth level party, and the only thing it can do is punch you if you make your wisdom save. The only thing it can do is always get away. Yes. I wouldn't throw an Incubus on like a party of people that I don't know very well, or even some of the people that I do know very well. There is a problem in our community in general with this idea of permission and with an idea of bound of boundaries. And you are probably going to be dealing. And, you know, we we talk a lot about how this is a nerd community. We don't talk about a lot about how we need to defend each other, knowing we are a nerd community and knowing we are. A lot of us have been gaslit. A lot of us have been hurt. A lot of us have been manipulated and to then subject people to that without being very clear that they're down for role-playing that is just going to re-traumatize them in a space where you should be providing the exact opposite. And that's why I'm going to just say right now, obviously, like, this podcast is a very different beast, but, like, if I were running a full-blown narrative podcast or a game, a stream on Twitch and I was running a game for that, I don't think I would use an Incubus or a Succubus if I had an audience simply because even with the player buy-in, you run huge risks with your audience buy-in because the way it lands cannot be controlled and you're playing with a lot of fire in this sort of territory. I wouldn't run it live, no way. I, I would I would do it only in a private game. Like, that's it. The only way I would play it in a live game is if I removed the sexuality completely from an Incubus. And, like, I, I played them off as... I could, of course, play them off as sexy, but that's because I play all my characters goddamn sexy. <laughs> that's because I play life sexy. I got one mode, that mode is sexy. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. 
Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Aram, what's your character's name? Jacob Sonnen of the Sun. Brother Jacob Sonnen is a powerful and well-trained cleric of Kelimvor, a special agent of Kelimvor, if you will, with the Reaper Squad, a specially trained group of paladins and clerics who are more martially focused and sent out to destroy all the undead and fiends that may corrupt mankind. Well, Brother Jacob, you wake up in a comfortable bed. Today is not one of those days. The Reapers are off doing training drills. Everything is fine. You wake up to this little patch of sun. You know that thing where you wake up and you're in the dark and you just roll over and it hits just right and it's warm and you can bask in it. And you hear that voice uh, offering you, you know, a coffee breakfast uh, just from across the room. What's your what's your morning look like? What's your morning ritual? So my morning ritual, uh, if I'm not going to, if 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 I'm not like showing up at muster, right, which is usually like the crack of dawn kind of thing, I'll sleep in. I'll sleep into about nine or ten. I'll luxuriate a bit, maybe wake up and roll around in bed a bit. Once I'm up, though, I'm up. So now it's showers, now it's working out, now it's food. It's move, move, move. I don't waste time. Wasting time is for losers. You wake up, you do just your quick morning sort of rinse. You put on your uniform, your vestments. Got to get my morning pumping before I put my uniform on. Of course. Couple of push-ups, just quick curls, just to make sure. My bedside curls, yeah. You get your vestments on, you've got your morning pump, like the fucking tool that you are. You're just about to go out, sort of start facing the day, and coming in through... It's not a servant's entrance, it's... It's a door I don't use as much. Exactly. It leads out into the back, where you can just kind of, like, walk out, get outside, not have to deal with the people in general. Yeah, it's where the kitchen is. I don't go there. That door cracks open, and your breakfast arrives. Mike, do you want to describe yourself a little bit? A uh, man in his early 20s enters. He's wearing uh, the same vestments as you. His hair is cut in a close military-style crop, uh, shock of blonde hair, um, green eyes, a little bit of a fuzz, but not too much. Um, but yeah, he's bringing your breakfast. Um, he's one of the... You're, what, what military rank are you? 
if we're going to equate it to like our military, I'd be like a lieutenant. Yeah. So I'm not junior. I'm just, I'm a little bit above. I've been in for a couple years. I'm still young, but I've got some seniority at this point. Enough to throw it around. Yeah, mine's like an ensign. He just got out of cadet school. And you got assigned to me. Yeah, he got assigned to you. That's a bummer. He comes in. So when you bring the breakfast, do you have my boots as well? Like, is it all like, have you pressed my jacket? Is it everything ready or is it just the breakfast? Oh, sir, uh, I made sure that your vestments and jacket were pressed earlier this morning. Uh, I had one of our mages perform prestidigitation on it, so there shouldn't be any sort of mud left over from yesterday. Um, I have your itinerary as well for tomorrow, sir. We have uh, early morning muster followed by a uh, strategy meeting um, that you've been invited to. Well, it's like 10 a.m. I fucked that. I, <laughs> I guess I should have asked you earlier. I fucked that one up. Uh, the cadets uh, simply stood outside. They thought that it was a lesson on um, on maintaining discipline. So uh, thing, shall I pass that lesson along to them? Sir? Yeah, no, that's exactly. Well, I mean, obviously, it's what it was. I mean, it's not like what you thought it was. Like, clearly, that's what I planned. Yeah, no, that was that was good of me. Excellent. Absolutely, sir. I wanted to make sure to verify that. I'll pass that on to the cadets. You don't have to always check with me about the things that I've already agreed that I do well, but I do appreciate the initiative. Thank you, sir. I one day hope to be as good of a lieutenant as you. The generals are all having a meeting in the main foyer. Um, all right. Uh, near the map room. Let's go. Yes, sir. So you proceed out the main door with your ensign in tow. The hallways are quiet. You can just hear that little sort of wafting of air through these sort of like vaulted ceiling, high hallways as you head towards the sort of main foyer. There are these huge double doors, and as you push them open, you're met with the wrong room. It is dark. It's lit well enough to see in but it's like a cold fire. It's burning still in that sort of reddish hue. Uh, there is an elevated bench. There's a man sitting there. He looks tired already. There are people behind a rail just sitting there clamoring. It almost feels like an audience for a show. They're too excited. And on the far side of the room is a table with an open chair at the end of it. At one side, everyone's seated, facing the sort of main individual on that elevated bench. And right next to the door, with your ensign standing next to it, gesturing for you to take your place, is a similar table. What is the ensign's name? Oh, yeah, shoot. Uh, my character's name is uh, Aramon. Aramon. Uh, Aramon, check the schedule. Are, are we early? You're exactly on time. This would be the gentleman from the bench. What does the gentleman from the bench look like? He wears a deep black robe and a mask. It is flat. It's not not quite featureless. It's almost formed to the general like curve it's of got the face. That suggestion. Exactly. It's got the suggestion of the face without the actual features. And when you look in, you can see eyes and those eyes aren't like they're not dead like they're milky. They're dead like I've been doing this for long enough that I need either a coffee break or a bullet to the forehead. What's going on? 
your hearing is set to begin. Give me a rank that's several above lieutenant because I don't know my, my command structure. Captain. Captain, you can take your seat. We'll begin shortly. And if you would like to proceed to your seat, the Crown's prosecution does not sit with the defendant. I'm still not sure what this is about, Your Honor, but this is my ensign. My ensign is assigned to me, therefore my ensign sits with me. And there's just that shift. Like, there's just enough, like, cheek that's visible behind the mask that you see just that little, like, amused smile, and she doesn't bother responding to that. Are we still in darkness? Imagine a room that is a dimly lit room. Yeah, imagine a room that is brightly lit. Radiance of the dawn. I slam a hand to my chest, and as an action, I channel my divinity and present my holy symbol and dispel any magical darkness within 30 feet. Any hostile creatures that don't have total cover within 30 feet must make a con saving throw, DC 14, or take 2 die 10 plus 5 radiant damage. Now, I wouldn't consider Michael's character hostile. So they don't take any damage. I don't think anyone else is near enough to me, but I am beating back this darkness and casting a bright and shining light. It's immediately apparent that this this dim lighting is a manufactured act because the moment your hand hits your chest, those flames go up in full brilliance. It's a bright yellow and everything is lit warmly and that energy just surges through the room. And over in the back, in sort of our our uh, peanut gallery here. There's a couple of folks that just straight go up in smoke. Not catch fire and die. Go up in a puff of black vapor. Your Honor, permission to treat the uh, defendant as hostile? The defendant is evidently hostile. Proceed. Captain Jacob, if you would mind sitting in the defendant's seat while the prosecution sits over here, it would be appreciated by the court. I will grimace, but something's going on that I don't understand. And in the military, you when that happens, you just nod and you do as you're told. <laughs> so I will nod and I will do as I'm told. We're beginning the hearing for Jacob Sonnen, Captain of the Reapers, Priest of Kelimvor, uh, Mass Murderer. Excuse me. Excuse me. Uh, uh, ob- objection. Yes, objection. That's a lawyer thing. Objection. Objection. First of all, leading, right? I watch, you know, shows. Second of all, second of all, if this is a trial, if this is a trial, then I demand representation. Son, you are the representation. Who do you think fields objections who decides what is permissible in the courtroom jacob if this is a righteous court then that would be kelimvor in any given courtroom who decides what objections will be held the judge your honor who are you objecting to i rescind my objection your honor Good, sit down. I would sit down. You, Jacob, Jacob of the Sun, you're responsible 
for a multitude of deaths over the course of your life. I'm going to present you a single opportunity. Tell me that you're a good person. Well, I am a good person. I'm evidently a good person. I do good things all the time because I'm a good person. The judge takes this directly. I am a knight of Kelimvor. I destroy the undead, the things that walk at night, that scour the land, that hunt our children and our weak. I rid the world of monsters. I am a good person. Aramon, would you like to begin? Thank you, Your Honor. Ladies and gentlemen of the court, Your Honor, the man before us is a mass murderer. He has committed several atrocious acts all throughout the Forgotten Realms. He has laid waste to many innocent lives. And most importantly, we have material witnesses and statements that can pin him to these crimes. All I ask is that the court simply evaluates the evidence and makes the correct and just decision. Thank you. We've already heard your plea, Jacob. Make your case. Tell me. Tell me of a time where you did good. And as those words resonate, as those flames sort of flicker, the room starts dissolving. I want you to tell me the story of the first time Jacob did a good act. Not did the right thing, not just like behaved well. The first time Jacob was good. No one's motivations are pure. Everyone's motivations are always influenced a little bit by something about them, something about what they want. Truly, the intro statement of a good man. <laughs> but when you can combine those two, they frequently sometimes overlap. So Jacob's desire to be seen as strong and to be seen as the hero would frequently overlap when he was a kid in that he would defend the weak. He, would, he was the anti-bully. He wasn't necessarily the anti-bully because he wanted to help. He was the anti-bully because he wanted to be stronger, but he was the good guy. Okay, so we go back years and years. We are not at Lieutenant Jacob. We are not at Private Jacob. We are at Jake. Little Jakey. And we see little Jakey. It's, it's a small group of kids. It's the three of you. You and one of the older boys, he was, he was always a year ahead of you and he was around often enough that you should know his name, but it just escapes every time you try to grab it. And then there's Eric. Eric was young. Eric was weak, but Eric did his best most of the time. Last you heard, he got shipped off to like a small town in the Dales. He performs funerary rites, and that's all he was ever going to be good for. But it's still, it's more than most people do. You're, you're sure that he's proud of his life. When you're like that, you know you can only accomplish so much. So when you get close to that, you're probably really happy. For them, for them, that's probably great. And you remember this place. You were told that this was the grave of a saint 
one of the greats, someone who went down fighting armies of undead, trying to stop a lich lord or something to that effect. Might have been a vampire, one of them. When I'm in a place like this, I appreciate it, but in my head, I'm just building on top of it because mine will be greater. This is the reference point for like, oh, well, this guy went down fighting a lich, but when I kill the lich, mine will be. It's be a lot more badass with the hero statue on top, not some fucking loser who died. He's not a loser. He he was the reason that the lich wound up defeated. He didn't kill him, but he still led. He saved a lot of people, Jake. If he wasn't a loser, he'd be here to tell me he wasn't a loser. You think you can beat the lich that killed the saint? I think I can beat all the liches. I think I can stop liches from being liches. I can unlich the liches. You can't. You lich can't unlitch a lich. Liches. You can unlitch a lich. You can unlitch a lich. You can find a powerful artifact that's more powerful than any of the other you magics, and therefore undo. Yes, you liches. can. You can do that. You can undo any magic okay. as long as you're powerful you enough. You can't cast all that any hierarchy spells. You can undo all right, everything. All right, all I right. will. I will cast spells. I will if, cast spells. If you're so powerful, then you can easily go to the cave where the saint's mace is left. Little Jakey would hesitate. Because that's a very scary cave. Oh, well, if you can't do it, I bet Eric can. Eric's not going to do it. And Eric immediately, like, flinches. And the moment Jake says that, there's, like, a little, like, it's almost a slap in the face. Eric never does anything. And this is one of those moments that in a few years you'll look back on and you'll realize, like, you were never mean to Eric. You were the one who had his back. And when you said it, when you were the one to tell him you're never good enough, it hurt him. Eric goes, no, I can do it. Heck yeah, you can. I, I bet I could come back with the mace and I'll be the hero and then I'll get a tomb like that. Eric, it's a really deep cave. Like, it's like, it's like getting dark. Like, you don't No, You're not going to do this, man. I can I'm going to do it. And he just turns around. He reaches down and he grabs a stick. Again, that adult mind that is seeing all of this happen recognizes the Sora stick that creates a little whistly noise through the wind. It's real good for swinging. That ain't going to hit anybody. Yeah. It's like, I figure that I'm having this kind of like when you have a, a dream, you know that this is a dream, but you're still walking through the motions as if it wasn't. It both feels as if it is and not real. Like I'm kind of suspended in that moment, right? I'm both me and also my younger yeah, self you at the same time. In the actions you knew you took, but the entire time, your fully aged brain is processing in the back of it. Yeah, I'm scared for a couple reasons. One, because I'm genuinely scared for this kid. Because this is a scary cave. Also, like, I'm probably on thin ice. I've probably fucked around. And if I do one more thing, I, I, I'm I not going to the school I want to go to. And my parents are just going to hit me. So, like, I, they're, I, I can't let them go alone. I can't. I can't. So, I'm like, you Jacob, know what? It's what, what are you going to do? What are you going to do alone? No. You know what? You know what? It's I'm, just a cave. I'm going. Are you going to go in? I'm going. It's going to be fine. Yeah. No, you're, Jacob, you're, you're not fine. Hey. I'm coming. My stepdad left the ale out. We're going to have drinks. And then Eric will come and join us. All we'll right? be there in and out. You know what? We'll all come up. I'll meet you up. I'm going to go see this mace for myself. 
I'll catch you later. Come on, Eric. Let's go, man. As you guys are having this argument, as you're kind of discussing and you give it like the come on, Eric, you turn around and you can hear like these little well, he's just swinging the stick ahead of him as he wanders into that cave. Fuck. Look, it just we'll see you in an hour, man. And I would run after him. You run into the darkness and the deeper in you get, the more you hear noises. You hear footsteps, you hear shambling, you hear dragging. Eric! And then you hear that skittering noise of rocks being knocked over and you hear a thud, something like maybe like 50, 60 pounds probably falling to the ground. This resonant thud. It's bad. And, Eric? And you keep pushing deeper. Eric! And there's that voice at the back of your head that tells you that if you get caught in here, it's going to be a problem. We gotta go, man. Don't fuck around in here. Eric! And there's one last moment. One where you look back and you can see the light at the edge of the tunnel. And you know that if you go get help, Eric will get in trouble, but like it'll be fine probably. And then you hear just a scream. Fuck. Oh, fuck. I, I, I will run towards the scream. And we fade back in in the courtroom. Yes, very well. You went in, you did a great job, and you... I Yes, I saved, I saved that dude. I went in, I saved that dude. Didn't have to, it was dumb. Did I tell him not to go in? Yeah. Did he go in anyway? Yeah. Was it my responsibility? No, but not only did I go in, I went in there. I found like a bunch of skeletons and zombies and things, and I found a mace, and that mace was magical and divine and led me to God. Come on. That was good. I'm a good guy. That proves it. Why am I even here? Jacob, how many children are bad? What do you mean? I don't know. Lots of kids. Lots of kids are bad. Most kids are bad. Children make mistakes. Children don't know better. When children are bad, it is an act of ignorance. And when children are good, you're right. It shows a strength of character. It's a seed that needs to be nurtured. Armon, counter arguments. Your Honor, everything you saw was true. I witnessed it with my own eyes. This man, Captain Jacob, did an act of good. Un act of good. An act that was so good that Kelmvor himself began paying attention. And as you said, it planted a seed. My question is, did that seed actually grow into something worthwhile or become a weed? My following arguments will show that just because somebody did something good once doesn't exactly absolve them of everything they do moving forward. Addendum, hearsay, ergo, I did a huge thing, not a small thing, not one thing. Even if that was one thing I did, if it was the only good thing I did, it was so good. I found a mace. No one knew where it was. It changed the balance of power. I 
called the favor of a god. How old was I? 12? I did a great thing. I'm a hero. I'm special. All of this just proves it. Please, if you could refrain from speaking out of turn and wildly misusing legal phrases as an introduction to whatever. I withdraw, ergo, for to your honor. Rambling you're about to embark on. Your honor, the defense does make a good point. He did gain quite a lot of power from his god. I would like to ask what he did with that power. Kick the shit out of zombies. And we're going to go into another bit of memory. As the uh, dark begins to fade, you find yourself in a familiar campground, one that you spent months in. That was, of course, in the Winter Wars. The rain pelts down in cold drifts. The horses plodding muddily through the... uh, through the camp trails. In the distance, you can see the wreckage from the previous battlefield as the new army of the undead begins to line up. You're in your tent overlooking the cliff above it. I hate this place. Lieutenant Jacob has been given his first command. This is the lich that did not die once. And he came back. It took a while to reform, it took a while to remuster an army, but God, the thing it brought forth, it's a host. Worse yet, in that time, it's been recruiting. It's not just the undead out there, most of it is. The bulk of the shock forces, but you know that there are lieutenants, there are other clerics to gods of death like Merkel that are just a couple of the... You even found scrolls and writings in some of the camps you've taken with writings to Yurgil, the oldest god of death that anyone knows. It just corrupts everything. It just spreads and spreads no matter how much we fight in this. And I, oh, I hate this place. I hate this place because it's cold. It's always cold and it's always wet. You know when your socks are always wet and always cold and you just Mm -hmm. can't get them dry. It's been like that for weeks. And it just like, even though there's so many other things going on, I cannot stop thinking about the fact that my socks are fucking wet and cold and it's just wearing me down. And the only bright spot is your second what, you know, we would call it your lieutenant, but you are in fact the lieutenant. So, I mean, he's not a lieutenant, but you know, military. And you're left sitting there just outside the command tent, kind of surveying what you can see, just making sure that matches up with the maps you have inside before you start developing the plan. What do you do? I got my boots off by the fire because I'm trying. I'm just desperately trying to stay dry. Even though I've got plans to make, I just can't stop thinking about getting just a little bit more comfortable in this hellish fucking winter escape. Take a deep breath and focus because it's important. And I need everything to be just right. I don't have my tea right now. So where the fuck is my tea? (laughs) And scrambling in is just another like acolyte, not even a priest. No spells, no clerical ability, just 
someone who learned to read on scripture. They come stumbling in. The water is warm. It has not come to a boil yet. The leaves are just there, and you're going to get leaf water. You're not going to get tea out of this. What's your name? I, I Sir, sir, it's a uh, Erden. Just leave it and go. Of course. Of course. Uh, is there anything else you need from me? Was I'm sorry. Was leave it and go not clear? I, you're you're absolutely correct, sir. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Because did I say leave it, go, and then ask a couple questions, or did I say leave it and go? He is continuously just apologizing and backing up, and just the yes, sir. I'm sorry, sir. You are completely clear, sir. And as he does this, almost every second sentence is a glance down at your side, at this mace, this symbol of divinity and blessing that you just carry at all times. As he leaves, you at least know that he is very much aware of his station. Crack my shoulders and drink my shitty tea. It's bad. (laughs) Yeah, but it's warmer than me, so I'll take it. Yeah. Lieutenant, permission to speak? And I would laugh a bit because we have kind of a familiar relationship. So while it's good that you're asking, it's also like you need to ask, but I will pretend like you don't need to ask because I like to pretend like you don't need to ask, even though you still have to ask. I want the credit both ways. I was picturing exactly that funny enough. (laughs) Like that's so specific. It's the middle manager who tells you to use his first name until his boss shows up, and then he's Sir. The teacher that makes you call them their first name. Mm -hmm. It's Barbara until the principal walks in. Yeah. Lieutenant, permission to speak? And I would just nod as I'm sipping my shitty tea. As I'm picking a leaf out of my teeth, I would just nod. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, you might want to watch your step when you leave the tent. I'm pretty sure I watched the shit fall from his britches as he was running out there. I would just kind of look and it's just like, like as the tent flap falls back, it's nothing but mud and frost for miles. And I just, (sighs) not even snow. It's just cold enough that like right at the edges of the puddle, you're starting to get just a crust and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. It's crackly mud. I just sigh. I'm sad. I'm broke. I'm like, like on the edge of broken. Like, like I'm like, I'm carrying on, but I just hope as long as he asks me less questions, I don't care. I walk over and I'm very hesitant. And I put my hand on your shoulder and just like in a moment of sincerity, you've been carrying a lot on your shoulders. Anyone in the camp can see it. You're fighting a fight to protect people. You should give yourself the grace to snap at people that, I'm sorry, are asking too many questions. Yeah. You see that mace on your side? You look down at it. Yeah. Yeah, you're a good person. They don't exactly hand those out with the requisition equipment. All right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, You know what? You're right. You're right. You're absolutely right. They had it coming. You know what, man? I'm just glad you're you're here. Otherwise, I would kill everyone. Oof. Strong words. But I like it a little. Every single one of them. Yeah. I mean, 
it's not bad enough that this fucker kills the saint and then raises the dead. Right. But now there's there are humans, actual living humans on their side. If they just requisitioned the amount of follow-up troops afterwards, we wouldn't be here. But no, we have to do this whole thing over again. I should be home right now. We should be on leave. To hear we lost about 80 troops escorting the POWs out of the war zone, all the people that threw down their swords and surrendered. And these people are serving a lich. And they get the nice, cozy city. And we're stuck here cleaning up after their mess. It's because we're playing by the wrong rules. We're still playing by the old rules. We're pretending like this is something that can be like us. This is something human and real, and it's not. It's just evil. And if we don't, if we don't treat it like it's just evil and stop pretending that it's like us, we're never gonna win this war. Between you and me, and I know that like people would say things if I said this out loud, but like, would it be really such a bad thing if once they threw down their swords, we just, you know, kind of kept going? Like, I know, I know I shouldn't think this, and i that's kind of why I'm telling you is because you're a holy person and everything, but like, what's, what's the point of losing our good people having to play babysitter to scumbags who sold out their country for, what, a sack of gold? Like, no, they should be treated just as, they should be treated with the same level of dignity as the fucking undead. Are you still kind of like leaned in? Yeah, can, can can you please give me some forgiveness for even thinking this? You're saying all the things he wants to hear. You can feel it, like there's a shift towards you. Like he doesn't move your hand, he doesn't stop you. He sits there and listens to everything you say, even if he doesn't outwardly accept it immediately. In the morning, there's a battle. Men and women and soldiers on both sides fall. The undead are going down, and there's a point where it feels like you might start losing ground. And you reach a point of absolute desperation, and you see out there, fighting side by side, those soldiers, those peasants, with spears fighting right next to the corpses of men you recognize, people that you lost, brought back in a way they were never meant to be, in a way that is ungodly and unreal. Traitors. And you hear that little echo in the back of your head. Could I pretend to be dead on the battlefield by one of the peasants? Absolutely. You've been out there swinging, and that mace crackles with divine power. You're a cleric, but it moves like a smiting weapon. It hits, and there's a pulse, and the magic that animates an undead just shatters. You hear it break like glass, and the body just slumps back to the ground. And as you step back, you trip a little bit. You trip over an arm in the dirt. And when you look down, you see the man who is asking for forgiveness. What's your character's name, Mike? Uh, Sergeant Typhon. You see 
Typhon. You see your sergeant, the man who is out there asking for forgiveness for saying that these people were animals, were monsters, just like the things they fight next to. No! And I would, like, drop down, and I'd cradle him up into my arms, and I'd look at his, like, the gaping wound in his chest and press a hand against it. And as you do, you start to push a little bit of energy. You start to try to heal, and you see a caster right in the middle of the army, surrounded by peasants guarding him with their spears, and you see a a spell, something intense for the sheer radiation that it's putting off, the energy that you can feel, and you feel something, something that isn't good, push back against that healing, something starting to act through Typhon's body. Out of, just, I'd be so pissed at this point, I'd be so mad, because this is like, this is like, they're like, they're like fucking cock blocking me. This is my fucking cleric thing. How dare you stop me from doing this? I'd be so angry at this point and so hateful of these people that I would stop healing my friend and I would point at this creature and cast fireball. Fireball is usually something that you picture like an explosion, but at the end of the day, there isn't a pressure wave, it's heat. It just sucks in all of the air around it as all that, as the heat causes all the air to expand and go up and it creates that vacuum and the air has to rush in. So really, there is just a... And then there are screams. That purple necrotic energy that was blocking your healing lances back, but you can see that interrupting that spell, it was already through his body and it terrors out of Typhon. You see a last spasm as his body, the the spiritual pathways, the things that you were using to heal are just rent. And every spear goes up in flames. And that necromancer in the middle, that acolyte of a lich that you will kill they all fall. There's that light tinkling as those now disembodied spear points clank onto armor and bone. And we find ourselves back in the courtroom. What else do you need? I stopped the bad guy. I stopped the war. I saved everyone. I, I, I almost saved everyone. And those people, those soldiers that were gathered around that necromancer, the ones you incinerated? The guards? Did you save them? The guards of the necromancer. They don't matter. They were guarding a lich. They chose their side. They decided to fight against humanity. They picked up weapons against people. Yeah, they had to die. It, 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 is it a bummer? Sure, whatever. But, like, they had to die. So noted. And as you say this, you're, like, looking around the room, trying to find, like, a voice, someone who just seems rational, someone who... Yeah. And the only thing that seems 
to even be paying attention to you is right along the outer edge of the corridor, uh, right around the edge of the sort of like the viewing box is this dark, shadowy, slinking panther that just watches you. There's a panther in the gallery watching me. Yep. It's the only thing paying attention to me. That is not promising, <laughs> I have to say. As far as omens go, I can't imagine that's particularly good. Trisette's going to burst in and wreck our shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm back in the courtroom now. Can I see this who I thought was my friend, but is now the the prosecutor. Can I? Yeah. Can I see As, that? At this point, I'd like to polymorph into Typhon. Yeah. Oh, so, <laughs> so like the moment he turns. Yeah. I would just, then I would just like lunge across my desk to yours and like grab you by the suit or whatever you're wearing. I just kind of shake you like, what the hell is going on? What is this? Whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, it's your trial. All right. Like we said, it's a trial. Your Honor, witness is currently accosting the prosecution. Yeah, yeah, I'm hostile. I'm very hostile right now. The witness acknowledges it. Aram, I want you to make a wisdom save at disadvantage. Real incubus shit. Make the other devils do things for me. <laughs> First one, 12. Second one, 22. A 12 is not going to be enough. I didn't think so. The judge casts Dominate Person. Oh, <laughs> and another fucking thought. I just freeze. And you, entirely against your will, walk backwards. Yep. Can I still talk? I will be. I am not walking backwards out of my own. I am and then very he just makes the gesture with his hand, back. just closes. <laughs> Sit down. <laughs> and the judge waves his hand and dismisses the effect. You need to understand for the place you were, you are a powerful man. Here, in my court, you are another case. Yeah, that would kind of underline it. That's pretty fucking frightening. I would think if you were just puppeted about and sent. Yeah, I think at this at at this point there would be a serious shift in Jacob, where he's now gone from like being arrogant to being fairly afraid. And I'd also like you to just make a quick insight check to see if you oh, pick dear. up on some words. <laughs> Oh, I don't think so. I'm not. My characters are no. Well, I have actually insight. I have a. I have a plus six. Hang on. Yeah. And I wrote a two, so that's gonna be eight. Any subtext in that sentence goes entirely over Jacob's head. Wouldn't be the first time. A little too riled up. Yeah, yeah. My ego is too bruised for me to fucking hear anything right now. Your Honor, if I may. Please. It's absolutely true that Captain Jacob um, fought in this war, slayed multiple undead, including acolytes of a famed lich. However, in doing so, he didn't care for the collateral damage. He also demonstrated pure disregard for those under his service. Had he actually paid attention to those working under his service, such as the acolytes that served him daily, he would have gotten daily reports on the makeup of the Lich's army. 
That brigade was made up of peasants who had their families stolen by the undead and were pressed into service. Rather than acknowledging such a thing and liberating those peasants from their forced servitude, he burned them painfully to death. Have you dropped the guise of Typhon yet? No, not yet. Jacob, you watch your left hand. Yeah. The only person on that battlefield you trusted until the day he died. Yeah. Who I had strong homosexual feelings towards, <laughs> but never admitted towards him because I'm just because uh, I'm just a coward on all aspects. Like like all I had strong Yeah. I had strong <laughs> repressed feelings towards this person, but I buried them deep so it stings that much more. I want it on the record. It's not because the Church of Kelimvor has anything against homosexuality or even just romance it's legitimately just like well that one's beneath me yeah no there's a reason why Strahd has whole legions of gay knights I'm just like no I'm just not gonna admit it like if you were of my same rank or higher it would be acceptable but I can't I can't be with a lesser I thought that was just like the one thing you were a weenie about. <laughs> like the whole, <laughs> I will face down the undead. Asking a guy out, what? Ooh, no, that you want, that's better. Well, I, like that, I like that better. <laughs> I like that better. I will swing that mace into hell, but I will not make the first move. <laughs> you fucking. Oh, Jesus Christ. The true monster is machismo. The true devil is anxiety. Jesus Christ, the true monster is rejection sensitivity. Yeah. Yeah, but no, 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 it's not about that. It's not, no, because that would be like something that like a decent person would do, right? No, I'm not. <laughs> what it is with me is that I don't ask. Mm -hmm. I don't ask. I get asked or it doesn't happen. Yeah. And you just never asked because you knew. So you knew I wanted you, but you never asked. Because this was the easier way to pull your strings. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you're watching me, a guy you had feelings for, throw you under the bus after you feel like you murdered a bunch of peasants to avenge me. Yeah. Have fun with that. At that point, I think I would realize it. I would be like, stop. Like, like I was doing this for you. Like, this was about you. What is this? You did it for you. You know you did it for you. No, no, they killed you and I avenged you. Clearly I did this for you. I had to be that guy. I didn't want to be that guy. It's not about being the guy, but I have to be the guy because clearly no one else can be the guy. So I saved you. Just like you had to be the guy at that school. When you're the guy, it just gets thrust upon you. It's greatness. I don't want to be great. I just am great. So I have to be great. Were you great? when you burned that keep? The cult keep? They were children. They were a cult. It was a cult. We had to stop them from making more zombies. They were making undead. They were children making undead. It was a magic school. And that day, they were practicing revivication. It was a training ground. It was... The day beforehand, they were practicing fireballs. I'm sure you would have given them plenty of personal tips if you had arrived a day earlier. At that point, your words would just bite and he would just lose it. And he would turn to you and his eyes would just rage. And he'd be like, I am a hero and hurl a fireball at you. That side of the courtroom 
explodes in flames. People in the the viewing box die. People at the table. What in like any normal courtroom would have been like the uh, the paralegals, the people just like right. helping out. Right, all right. Of it's them. just it's that person with the weird typewriter just typist, vaporized. Just, all of them just gone. And then stepping back out of the ethereal plane is the boy you remember, is the sergeant you had, is the ensign who walked into the room with you. Always following you, always whispering in your ear. I would draw my sword. You have a mace. I would clutch my mace. This is entrapment! <laughs> God damn it, it legally is. Fuck. I'll, uh, I'll drop all the disguises. You're going to see me for what I truly am, which is a party twink. <laughs> and really great abs. All I had to do is say the words. You're the one that followed through. I'm so mad right now. So hurt. But so mad that I think he would just roar in frustration and lunge towards you and try and strike you down. Absolutely. Roll initiative. I rolled a 10 plus 1 is 11. 18. I think it's plus 3. So 21. First thing I'll do is fly in the air out of your reach. So 15, <laughs> 20 feet, I want to say. Mm hmm. You're only response to adversity is blind violence and that's why I loved using you every single thing you did was justified because you were representing your god you never asked your god you only asked yourself <laughs> and there is a voice at the back of the room striding forward through the box as that panther starts to stand upright the fur pulls back into a cloak into a silver dead flat no feature mask oh this can't be good and you didn't ask not once i don't have to ask i was chosen i was chosen i was picked so everything i did was righteous that's how it works. When you're chosen, what you do things, you're righteous. I made righteous decisions because they were my decisions. And I grab the mace and I just slam it down on the table in front of me, crackling with energy. I am righteous. And I charge this thing. It is a mace of disruption. And I rolled a natural 20. So that would be a total of 25. You take this swing, it is powerful. You you know how to use this. The weight is magnified by the magic. You use every bit of torque. You throw your shoulder into it. You have every bit of force that you can muster, and you know that it's going straight into this person's face. And their arm comes up as if to stop it and clutches the head and hand. It stops dead. And Kellumvor tells you, we all make mistakes. 
myself included. And he snaps the mace. Oh. Drops the head on the floor. He's left holding a handle. I did not bring you out to kill the undead. I brought you forward to protect the living. He looks past you at the judge. Sentences you see fit. And he turns, and your god walks away from you. I kneel down next to him. Evil is a seed. You have to plant it at the right place at the right time and nurture it and let it grow. And you were a great seed. And what you did is going to give us a lot of souls. I pat him on the shoulder. He grips the handle. And in this moment of just pain and humiliation, in the lowest moment he's ever been, he recalculates. And he turns to you and looks you dead in the eye. What do you need from me? Give me anything so that I can have my revenge. Oh, oh, no, this isn't that sort of thing. I needed you, and I got everything I needed out of you. I need you to walk around in a holy symbol doing terrible things, so that way people would stop worshipping Kelimvor and stop going to his churches. And you did that wonderfully, and you taught an entire generation of priests to do it as well. Thank you for your service. You can go to hell now. I'll turn to the judge. Your honor, I rest my case. It's a gesture from the judge and an eternity of darkness. Eternity of remembering a flat face and eyes so deep with sorrow, holding the thing that you thought made you good and telling you no. You never were. If you want to suggest creatures for future episodes or talk about the monsters we've discussed on the show, head on over to our Discord. You can find links on killeverymonster.com. And we'll see you next time for Kill, Kill Every Monster. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues, and it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. The ancient mountainous deserts to the south of Faerun are the places where mortals first raised great temples and unlocked powerful secrets. 
kingdom once fractured by infighting has been united under the iron claw of the red dragon, Chazar. The great lizard's quest for immortality has become an all-consuming obsession. His need for worshippers has set him on a path against the old gods of these lands, and they will not go quietly. An unlikely cabal of deities has banded together to undermine Jazar and ensure that their temples remain protected and active. They've traced tendrils of fate to preferred timelines, then selected five mortals who had the best chance of bringing those futures to fruition. You will take on the role of one of these chosen in Death to the Dragon King. Find out more about this Start Playing Games campaign and all of my other available games at aram.gay.